Hey, what's up? This is Matt Dietz, and this is None of My Business. This is the show where I get to sit down with creative, interesting, smart, and ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders and uh, have them tell their story and pick their brain. I want to know what makes these people tick. I want to know what secrets they have that can help us out. Because no one is given a playbook at the beginning of this journey in entrepreneurship or leadership. We have to kind of blindly find our way through it. So I wanted to try and locate some guides to help us. And that's what this show is all about. This episode, I brought back my friend Sean Hancock. And Sean and I had an awesome conversation about a number of things. Sean uh, is a comedian and improv wizard. Uh, He founded a company in town called Recycled Minds, where he teaches the art of improvisation. Uh, not only that, he does it on a corporate level too, where he will, and we talk about that. We talk about how improv and humor can really help jumpstart or infuse uh, or restart a a uh, team or company. He's also a husband and a father of two little ones that are four and two. So he's got a lot going on. Um, I just love talking to Sean. He's got great energy. He's kind. He's intelligent. He's uh, he's intuitive. And I think you'll be able to tell that our conversation was very natural. It was very organic. And uh, and he shared a ton of good stuff on a number of different topics, including the things I've already talked about, humor. Uh, we talk about improv. We talk about how he teaches it. We also get into some other stuff like AI and what that means uh, and some new fun stuff he's doing with conspiracy theory. So there you go. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming on. Really enjoyed spending time with you again. Let's do it again soon. And uh, on with the show. Let's go. All right. So I am joined today with my good friend, Sean Hancock, who has a long list of titles. We're going to go with he's an improv comedian, uh, corporate trainer. Uh, he's the founder of Recycled Minds, and we're going to talk about that. He's also a husband and a newer father. He's got two little ones. What are they, four and two now? That's right. Like that? yeah. yeah. What's up, Sean? Dude, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks it's for coming a, in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk shop. Let's do it. So what's going on with your life right now? Well, uh, a couple of cool things have gone down the pipe. Um, I just filmed a couple of comedy specials down in Utah for Dry Bar Unscripted. Nice. It's like their sta- uh, their improv version of what they were doing with Dry Bar stand up. Mm-hmm. So it's clean uh, comedy in the improv comedy realm. So Beautiful. it's yeah, we're, I'm so excited for those to come out. When do they come out? I don't know. I it could be in a couple of months. So right. not not sure when the release date is. Where are we gonna? What? How many screens are you gonna be on? <laughs> Where can we watch it? Well, it's all gonna be on Drybar Unscripted. So, uh, which is part of Angel Studios. So, uh, they're going to be the ones that are gonna be carrying it. I'll of course be sharing it through all of all of my channels. But um, that's where you'll be able to watch the entirety of the comedy specials cool. is on Drybar Unscripted. All right. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. You yeah. were. Uh, you're not done, I don't think, right? But you're you're going to be in a movie too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm still, hence um, growing my beard out because I have to have a mustache for it. But uh, <laughs> So uh, in the middle of August, I'm going to be finishing up with this film called uh, The Ground Beneath Our Feet. So um, this is the first uh, full-length feature film I've been in. So that's pretty that's pretty cool. I've done a lot of like commercials and short films and, yeah. and things of that nature. Um, and being an improv 
comedian people will be like hey can you be in this you know or whatever right. so uh so this is exciting to uh to be in a in a feature film and um um doing a, a a podcast that's part of a radio station nice uh which is pretty cool uh project 88.7 uh, off the cuff with Sean Hancock. Nice. So yeah, so that's pretty, that's pretty fun. So a lot of fun, creative stuff. That's, um, it's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. 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 It's Good for you. Thank you. You found out what you like to do yeah. and you are surrounding yourself with it. It's how you, did you, how did you do that? It's, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think, to quote uh, uh, Mac Mayer, um, he, he's he, he's, a, he's a guy who's like um, who I went to advice for, and he said, "Go through the doors that are open to you." Nice. So um, so that's what I've been doing, and uh, it, I'll knock on a door, and if that door doesn't open, I go to the next one and keep on knocking until a door is either open and cracked or th- is thrown open, and then I just keep going. Good for you. So, yeah. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about improv. Yeah. Like I love improv. Um, to me, it's, it's like a magic trick. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I'm wildly entertained by it. Yeah. I, um, I've, I've read books about it. Mm-hmm. I love watching it. I've consumed it. I've tried to study it. And there's some really amazing principles that are, you know, part of that world that we could all benefit from, whether it's from personal relationships mm-hmm. or, or within family and stuff like that. But um, comedy has been a really important part of my life just for years. It's helped me establish good relationships. It makes me laugh and makes me feel good. Um, there's some common ground that we can share with other people and stuff like that. So humor is like really important. So I kind of want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. So let's talk a little bit about improv. Talk to me a little bit about your company with Recycled Minds. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what do you do? Um, You teach improv. Yeah. How did you get, let's, let's go back. It's like, how'd you get into improv? And then, you know, how are you bringing it to people today? And then we'll talk about some of the concepts and like, like what's so awesome about it. Sure. Yeah. For me, it started in theater. Uh, I was a kid and, um, my aunt had told me when I was a child, like, you're going to be a comedian. I didn't even know what the term meant at the yeah, time, yeah. what a comedian was. Um, and there was a time, this was the turning point for me. I, I'm in uh, fifth, fifth grade, sixth grade, and uh, I was getting bullied mm-hmm. to the point where I begged my parents to homeschool me. And through like uh, wet, salty tears, I'm like, please uh. get me. Like I'm, I'm so tired of school. The worst. So they ended up pulling me and my older brother and sister out of school and homeschooled for, for an entire year. Wow. And over the summertime, I didn't realize, but I developed some sort of skill set when it came to making new friends. Like my, my dad was on job sites and so he would take his, his trailer with him and we would go with him on these job sites. So we're living in like Frenchtown, Montana on a job site that my dad's doing. And I'm just learning how to make friends with kids in the trailer park right? kind of a thing and learning that there's a way to communicate with people and there's a way to make people laugh and to do it fairly quickly mm-hmm. and, um, and be likable. Yeah. You know, so I didn't realize, but over the summer I developed and, and this, this mindset. And so when I went back to school the next year, I realized something in me had changed where I'm in the hallway and I, I, 
I noticed like I'm having almost this outer body experience where there's this, this group of people that have gathered around me and I'm doing like impressions of my teachers and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> like if they were hurt, I'd probably get in trouble. Uh, but, uh, so if, so, and I realized like, Oh, that person used to pick on me on the, on the bus. Oh, that's his cousin who I play football with now, mm-hmm. you know, like, so it, I realized that like humor is this incredible gift if you learn how to wield it. Otherwise, right. you can be cut by it. Totally. So, it, but if you can if you can wield it and master it, now it's a gift for other people, either as a form of defense, a defense mechanism for you know for for a young guy who's coming of age, mm-hmm. um, or it can be used as a tool. I ended up being invited to host like pep rallies for the high school after I came into high school, freshman, sophomore year. So, so that doing theater that opened up doors for me where I was like, okay, this is, I knew it was a turning point for me when my brother who was a senior and I was a freshman, my brother gets cast in the lead role and he, and we were not getting along. He had senioritis really bad. Yeah. He was a total jerk and that's okay. Like he, he knows <laughs> he'll, how, admit it. he'll admit it. He'll admit it. So I can, I can talk about this. Um, he said to me something I'll never forget. He said, um, man, I, I had the lead role and my kid brother had seven lines and stole the show. There you go. So for, for, I, I realized that it, it was even something my brother was willing to admit at the time. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I got something here. Let's mm-hmm. keep pursuing it. And so I did. Yeah. So that was kind of my first chance of discovering something I was good at and go through the doors that are open to me. Um, so that led me into, um, go, I went to an acting conservatory called New Heritage Theater Company that's unfortunately not around anymore. That's where I got my taste for improv by Stitch Marker, who now teaches uh, and does stuff with Idaho Shakespeare Festival. Nice. So he gave me my first like improv book by Viola Spolin, like the like it's like this improv Bible, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't stop. I just enjoyed it so much. I invited my class at the time. I was like, "You guys, we were we were we had a Saturday morning class, and Stitch would bring us donuts and orange juice, and you know." And I was like, you guys, I'm having so much fun. We can't keep this to ourselves. Let's put a, let's yeah. do a troupe. Let's, let's put go. a troupe together and yeah, perform. And nobody in my class ended up wanting to do a, a troupe. So I called my buddies from, from high school and uh, they were like, yeah, let's go. And so we formed this ragtag team of people. We found this, this, uh, this, this bar on in Garden City on Chinden <laughs> oh, yeah. to perform at. I do not recommend that to people, <laughs> but we were just so hungry to perform in front of people. It was like $2 tickets to come in and we were doing sketch and short form improv. I didn't even know long form was even a thing, yeah. which maybe we can talk about later, but there's a different form of improv. Anyways, um, I got so hungry for it. I was like, I'm going to go to LA and see what I can do kind of a thing. And so I started studying at the groundlings and a couple other schools of improv, UCB, Upper Citizens Brigade, uh, performed at IO, uh, got involved with a group called Monkey Butler, where I was asked to teach for them. I said, no, I'm not interested in teaching improv. I just want to be the best improviser I could be, not realizing that when you teach, you learn twice. Yeah. So it was when I started teaching improv that I accelerated as an improviser myself because I was able to formulate the processes that were in Absolutely. my mind. And now I was able to communicate it and share it. And I found this love and this care for teaching and really like caring for the people that are in my class because they were starting to have breakthrough and confidence breakthroughs in them in themselves. And that's where I discovered dude improv is special. Yeah. And I, I almost, I basically went on this new 
spiritual, mental, physical journey of transformation. It was like a come to Jesus kind of like using comedy kind of thing where it was like God was teaching me about himself and the universe and who I was all because of this simple art form known as improv and the principles therein. Yeah. My wife is in the medical field and like when she was going through school, you know, they teach it's simple. It's three words, right? Mm -hmm. Learn, do, teach. Mm -hmm. And so when you're going through your rotations and things like that, like that's what they do for medical students, you know, it's like learn it, do it mm-hmm. and then teach it. Cause the teaching really kind of crystallizes what you're doing. That's right. And to be able to share it in a way that can be understood, mm-hmm. you know, you think about it a little bit differently. And I think there's more confidence, yeah. absolutely more confidence when you're teaching somebody something and, uh, and so much so that, I mean, that principle could be applied to, to anything, yeah. you know, so to hear you do it, uh, it, it makes total sense. And so, yeah, I'm glad you got to that. So, when you um, when did you open Recycled Minds, and and what was your um, what was your vision when you opened it, hmm. and like how has it evolved? Yeah, it was in 2002 when it started as just a performance troupe. Okay. I just wanted to perform in front of people and make people laugh. I've I've changed. I used to be like a live for the applause kind of guy. Cause that's where I got my validation when people were applauding me and saying like, wow, that's so great. But really I, they were saying you're so great. And so it was uh, doing a lot of feeding of my ego mm-hmm. and something changed um, years down the road. It, I think it was a gradual change versus an overnight flip of the switch. But I realized that it wasn't about me getting uh, the applause. It was about me giving. There you go something to the audience and in in the case of comedy it's giving them the opportunity to laugh it's yep. giving them the opportunity to have joy mm-hmm. to to enjoy the other people they're laughing with i mean how many times you go to a comedy club and you laugh and you look to your left and your right and be like who's with me oh, like yeah. that was funny you know what You're i mean right. so uh so that was a real treat for me uh making that that switch and in 2012 i met my wife in spain in 2009 uh, she wasn't my wife that at the time, of yeah. course. You don't meet someone uh, this day and age and be like, hey, you must be my wife. That's me, you know, <laughs> unless you're on a reality show, I guess. Absolutely. So uh, so I meet my... my, uh, my this, we met on the this Spanish lady. Bachelor, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess you say hello, you kiss each other on the cheek, and then you're hitched. There That's you how go. it works. Here you get the rose. That's wild. <laughs> so I meet this girl and uh, very slowly like falling in love with her. And, um, as we just became friends, if I could recommend, uh, anyone in relationship, just be real humans, be good friends. And then if you realize you're, you're pursuing what you're made for in life and you look to your left and to your right and someone's been running that race with you, that's a good person to team up with. Solid advice. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that was the case with my wife. She was like running the same life race with me, the same spiritual race with me. And, uh, I loved working with her and, uh, I was writing a blog. She was my editor. Like it was just a lot of like, we were taking on the world together, taking on the world together. Exactly. And so, um, so 2012, we ended up getting married. We started recycled minds back up. So recycled minds in 2002 lived for a couple years and then I moved to LA and started just diving into training and, um, and acting. 
and then it, it went away. And when I came back in 2012, I was doing some comedy tours with this comedian named Heath Harmison. I know Heath. He's, yeah. been, he's been a friend of the show. Oh, I've had good. him on. Nice, yeah. nice. He's, he's doing well, too. He is doing great. Yeah. He's doing good stuff. So, uh, so I saw you guys perform together. Yeah. You guys are... Yeah, a riot. Thanks, man. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people have said we have good chemistry. We r- respond and give good gifts to each other. So <laughs> yeah, we have a good time. So, uh, so Heath and I started. He had this really brilliant idea of taking the stand-up model and using improv with it. So we started doing a duo comedy show. Great. We didn't have to pitch it as improv. It was just like a comedy duo. And mm-hmm. so people were like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So we would come in and we would just do it improv together. Okay. Um, and it was a ton of fun. And I, I was like, dude, I wanna start doing, I wanna start trading, training people. I wanna start teaching people how to do improv. And his stand-up career was like at the cusp. At one point, he's like, "Man, I think I'm just gonna stop doing stand-up and just go all in with improv." And I was like, "Bro, you should keep doing stand-up. You're really good at yeah. it." Yeah. So, so anyways, we had a conversation. He had some doors open up for him to do st- more stand-up, and so he went that way. And then I started teaching people improv. Yeah. yeah. And so and, and started putting all my energies into that. So, um, so and Colleen helped me to relaunch recycled minds as a training center so we teach people the principles of improv how to do it uh we do eight week classes at the end of eight weeks people are performing on a stage in front of their friends and family whoever they invite and it is and it is done with people who eight weeks ago were complete strangers yeah and now they have each other's backs they have confidence to come out on a stage and make people laugh without having any script any idea of what they're going to come up with. Um, and they can do it with a level of confidence that blows the mind of the people that come to it. Yeah. That's the part that's, uh, that's, that's incredible to me. So let's talk about some of the principles of improv. Like what I want to know, like kind of what you teach them. Obviously Mm -hmm. you're giving them, you're giving them tools that aren't just great for being on stage and being Mm -hmm. funny and things like that. But I think, you know, you said the word confidence, Yeah, like what you just described, like standing on stage without a script. Um, it sounds terrifying to probably everybody, you know, like, I don't know many people, especially outside of your industry that are like, no way in hell, you know, am I going to do that? Um, but you know, so, so what are some of the, what's the core? Like what, and, and, and how hard is it to learn and how much fear do you, do you have to, get through Mm -hmm. to be able to stand up and open your mouth and have something come out. I'm sure you have to overcome, you have to overcome some fear. You have to Mm -hmm. overcome some fear of probably feeling stupid or saying the wrong thing. I'm sure Mm -hmm. the group has to be, you know, wildly supportive of each other Mm -hmm. and things like that. And trying and trying and trying, I would imagine is important, but, but there's gotta be some rules to help you accelerate that process. So I'm curious on like what, what do you have to say for that? Yeah. We do these exercises in these Games. They're like these mental exercises that encourage you to get out of your head. Yeah. As Tony Robbins or Dean Graziosi would say, like when you're in your head, you're dead. Yeah. Right. It's when you're in your head, you start thinking about things that are uh, ridiculous, that are uh, not helpful to anybody. So you, when you're in your head, you that's when you can talk yourself out of doing something great or 
brave or courageous or bold or necessary when you're in your head and you start thinking about it. That's when you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'll do something stupid. Maybe I'm. Maybe I am stupid. You yeah. Know what how I mean? do you, how do you quiet the voice? And this isn't maybe just for improv, but even if you're getting mm-hmm. ready to give a, a you know a talk to a group of people on stage and teach them something like, uh, you know, how do you get them to quiet that voice or to set it aside um, so that. Because most people have a fear of saying something because they don't want to look stupid. Right. You know, that's probably it. I mean, for ninety nine percent of it, I, I because I don't want to be judged. I don't want to. I don't want to feel like I'm uh, like I'm stupid. I don't want to be laughed at. You mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. like how do you tell that that part of your brain to take a nap? You know, and to yeah. make the leap into saying what what you what you have to offer. You know, yeah. what you have to give. Great question. Yeah. And probably the question that most people want an answer to. Yeah. Tell me, Sean. <laughs> well, you'll have to tune in next time in our, 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 our After Hours podcast. Yes. <laughs> Part two. Part two. Yes. It's uh, nine installments. <laughs> now, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, and it's it's going to sound a lot simpler Good. Uh, and easier than you might imagine. It really boils down to giving yourself permission to be to give instead of come to get. Great. So when you step out there, it's like, I'm going to give them an opportunity. I'm going to, I'm going to come and tell a story, right? A lot of people who are doing speeches or, or they're, they're at a wedding and someone's like, Hey, would you say something? Or I had someone who, you know, that's someone passed away and they're like, Hey, can you speak at the funeral? Like, how do you do that? Well, you first ask, I have to be willing to be a vessel for a story. Great. You have to be willing to be the bystander, get out of the way, and do the best job you can to tell the best story possible nice. with with kindness and care. Of yes. course, half the time I'm doing what I'm doing, it's all about humor, right? right? You still got to care for your audience. Half of my audience doesn't align with me politically, but guess what? They align with me a lot more in different ways as a human being. So those are the way that's where I get out of the way and start telling better stories. That's going to connect as a human or jokes. They connect as a human because truth and comedy, they run together. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Comedians are often truth tellers, you know? So, uh, so that's, that's what I do. Um, and what we do is we, in the class, we celebrate very, very quickly when you get out of your head. We celebrate very quickly when you give yourself permission to look stupid, to do something stupid. Because once you've given your, once you don't worry about looking stupid, you start looking at other ways you can look. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I don't care about stupid. What do I care about? Oh, I care about making my other scene partner look good. That's one of our principles. Make others look good. How do I make other people look? People look good. I listen. Uh, humor. It, it, it's a lot about listening. If you look at like some of your favorite comedians, they're usually really good at identifying stuff that we're like, oh my gosh, yeah, right. I, I'd see that all the time and well, I never even thought about it, right? Yeah. That's listening to the world around you. That's uh, that's listening to situations. Being very observational. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. So when you're listening and when you're observing, now you can use that in different areas. Now you can use that in a personal way. Now you can use that with your spouse where my, my wife, if she wants to stop me dead in my tracks, all she has to say is, Hey, you're not yes. Andy and me. Yeah. 
Right. And you're like, damn it. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. And it's, it's revealing in a way where she's not calling me stupid. She's saying like, Hey, these are principles that we've agreed to, to live by, to make each other look good. And I know you care for me and you don't mean to get caught up or feel like you're busy or whatever, or being defensive. So let me remind you, you're not yes anding me right now. And it stops me. And she's not shaming me. Right. She's just saying like, hey, you're not yes anding me. Which, for those of you who don't know what yes and is, that's a principle of improv. You can't create improv scenes without it. It's the staple. It's the cornerstone of improv where someone acknowledges, uh, says something. And I acknowledge it and I add on top of it. Yeah. So their idea now is accompanied with me. I'm coming alongside your right, you're idea. Linked. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's uh yeah, that's the cornerstone of improv is mm-hmm. yes and is that hard to get in the practice of doing? Is it something that you just start doing and you just kinda wanna do it more yeah. because you see it working probably really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, especially you know, you're you're doing it in your classes and with your students, but you know, even as they, I, I know you teach them to do this outside of that too. Mm-hmm. And so when they exit and they're having conversations with people or their spouses or their friends mm-hmm. or colleagues or whatever, um, I think there's a switch that probably flips and they're more observational throughout their day mm-hmm. and things like that. And so, um, yeah, that's a real gift that you're teaching people, yeah. you know, it's, and it's not happening nearly enough right Mm -hmm. i mean like when you were talking with your wife and she was you know brought you back to center Mm -hmm. i wasn't privy to that conversation but my guess was you were probably trying to maybe be right about Mm -hmm. something or you know win an argument or let me tell you how this is gonna or whatever it's gonna be you know and that is where our society is that's right and um people are more and more concerned about being right mm-hmm. than being kind. That's and right. That's the one thing that I am desperate to try and like get people to stop doing. Right. You know, and so that's why I love this tool so much. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You're you're spot on. I mean, and I'm sure, you know, you who you listening to this, you're like, oh yeah, I've been in that place where I could have had someone say, you're not yes anding. Um, we, at the moment, I, I was. I was being defensive. I was trying to prove a point or make my point. And something my dad said when I was a young man, uh, he said, sometimes proving you're right is not always the right thing to do. That's great advice. Yeah, yeah it's something that I grew up with. My dad always needed to be right. Mm. It was very important. And, like, he was the alpha alpha. Like we, And none of us really felt comfortable stepping to him, you know. But we grew up in that that atmosphere where being right is important, you know? And so that's kind of what was installed with me when I went out into the world, you know? And so I wasn't, I'm still an unfinished product, but I I have seen over time that that can be damaging. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're, you're with people where, uh, who don't think like that, you know, which is a lot of people, you know? And so if you're always standing on a hill and trying to be right, or maybe you're playing devil's advocate just because that's what you're wired to do. You don't even believe in what you're fighting about. You know, you're like, I'm going to take the other side and I'm going to yeah. prove you wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that's a kind of a poisonous space to be in, you know, 100%. it's taken a lot of, of, of work and effort of me to catch that automatic response. You know, it's an automatic response. If you came in and you were like, 
the Cubs suck or whatever you're going to like for baseball. Like I would, I would like my initial response is light speed. Like I'd go right at it, but then, so I've learned to try and like stop that before it hits my mouth. And it doesn't always happen that way. Um, to be like, why am I arguing this point? Mm-hmm. Like, is it to be right? Can I learn something from Sean? Maybe Sean could tell me why the Cubs suck. And maybe that's something <laughs> that I need to learn, you know, or something like that. But I noticed that, like, when my kids were young, I was doing that with my kids. Like, mm-hmm. I was telling them no, and it's wrong. And, no. and then my son did it back to me when he was young, and I panicked. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, God, no. No, no, no. So we tried to reverse course. And it's so it's become an important part of my, you know, evolution as a human, you know, to not be the one who's combative mm-hmm. and, and to try and stop that automatic response. Uh, it still happens, you know, sometimes, but I'm really quick to you know, to back away from it, to apologize, right. you know, and to own it. And you're like, I'm, I'm working on this right. and I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, but it's, it's, you got to know yourself and you, yeah. and, and if you want to get better, these are the things that you need to learn to do. So that's right. Yeah. So, um, let's talk a little bit about like corporate training. I want to mm-hmm. know what you do in that space. Cause I think this is a great thing to bring to, mm-hmm. to, to companies and, 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 um, whether you're doing humor or improv, whatever you're teaching them, I think humor is such an immediate it's something that i think you can earn trust very quickly if you can make someone smile or make someone laugh mm-hmm. it's all about finding common ground or something right. like that right yeah. and so um i think it's something that it's important to kind of try and deploy when you're meeting new people or if you're in sales or if you're in whatever you're in like if you can get someone to lower it because lower their guard meaning mm-hmm. someone new is scary for both parties yeah. most of the time but if you can find some common ground make them laugh make them smile um i think it does wonders for so many different things you know right. you'll end up doing business together mm-hmm. maybe not maybe you'll just be friends and that's a win too so mm-hmm. what kind of things do you teach people in the space of humor or um, improv in the business world mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about like what that looks like yeah humor is I I never separate it from from uh, from improv and if I'm doing a, a talk or if I'm working with a team a humor is always coming with me and to your point because humor has this this innate ability to remind us we're all human and it helps with rapport and also, it, if anyone's tense or uptight in the room, it helps bring relief. Yeah. So that's another gift that you bring into your audience. And it also can, can show, depending on what, what you, you do to cause people to laugh or what you're using as your form of humor, you're also bringing a level of trust to other people. And as soon as, a, as an audience laughs, they are the quickest to be open to listen. Yeah. Cause what's he going to say? Next? Right. What's he going to say next? Yeah. I want to, I want to laugh again. That yeah. feels good. I got endorphins. Right. So, um, so we use humor. I start with humor and then we dive into these, these exercises that help people get out of their own head that help people connect and listen better. So in the, the, uh, in, in the corporate training that I'm, I'm essentially team building, I'm using improv principles to help people connect better, to help people listen better, to help where there's been riffs with a team, or maybe you had something against somebody because they didn't communicate something well, they dropped the ball, maybe you got blamed for it. Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of times what I'm doing is helping them re-engage on a human level to care about the human being 
that's across from them or that's next to them versus it's just it's just an email it's yeah. just someone who's you know um that you have to work with right well the the problem with that mentality is that we spend more time with the people we work with than a lot of people do with their families absolutely so w- why not change your work environment to be one of the best environments that you're surrounding your world with. So a lot of that has to do with letting things go, forgiving people, forgiving yourself. Right. You know, so those are a lot of the things that that we work on while we're laughing, while we're doing these exercises, and while people are having self-discovery moments that it's like, oh, while I thought everyone else smelled, it was me that stepped in something. <laughs> yeah. Like that was me. So yeah. I gotta clean up my own thing. Yeah. Well I think 99% of the world's problems are due to lack of communication yeah. and assumptions. I think assumptions yeah. is something that's, uh, that happen way too often mm-hmm. in every part of our life. You know, yeah. you know, you can assume something, um, you know, that your wife might be thinking and you're totally off base, you yeah. know, and that's some stuff that you're internalizing or you got triggered yeah. and that's on you, you know, yeah. same with the, in the workspace. Like, if you're giving side eye to someone who's sitting at the desk next to you because you thought that they might think something about you, but you've never even talked about it, and you're just sitting there and like telling yourself fake right. stories, like that's poisonous too. Hundred so, yeah. percent. So you know, when it comes to communication, like what kind of things do you do to, you know, to make an office space or a workspace or a culture, you know, safe to yeah. have those conversations yeah. because they can't. What I've learned is like those conversations can be scary, yeah. Um, but but after you've had them, you work that scare up so high in your head mm-hmm. that the actual conversation is significantly easier, yeah. And you were probably losing sleep over this right. conversation or something like that. And then you had it, and they were like totally cool about it, and you're like, "What the hell was I worried about for all this time?" You know. <laughs> so how do you create like you know a place where people are comfortable? having those conversations, mm-hmm. um, bringing it up, um, doing it in a kind way yeah. you know, and, and, and not pointing the finger. Yeah. Tell me what you do there. You got to change the culture right? and you can, it starts with you and what you can get everyone to agree on, upon. So for the leaders out there, never talk poorly about another person behind their back. That's don't, don't do it. Yeah. The, you can talk about someone behind their back if it's praise to another person. Yes. Dude, did you see Matt? Oh my gosh, that guy. He just knows how to take care of people. He just knows how to listen to people. He just know he's up for solving people's problem. Like that's that's who he is and he always shows up. This guy is so consistent. You know, if if I'm talking to a person who's going to go to lunch with you, they're going to be like, "Hey, did you, did you hear what Sean had to say about yeah. you?" You know? Yeah. Dude, let me tell you what he said, right? Yeah. So you can talk about a person behind their back if only if you're praising another person. So that's the best way because uh, word gets around. If you want to make something go quickly, say something behind someone's back. That well, gets well, around people quick. People love to gossip. I mean, yeah. we're hardwired for bad news. Right. Like we've... Uh, open your news app and it's just all about death and, oh, for you sure. know, and the end of the world and the yeah. market's going to crash and, and all just, it's a hot mess, you know? And so, yeah. and I've questioned for, for years, like, why, why is this? And it's because a, it's sales papers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but why do leads, people, but why do people buy it? You know, it's because we're drawn to that stuff, you yeah. know, for some stupid reason, we're hardwired, you know, to, 
be sucked into bad news and and gossip really yeah. and it just it's all empty calories yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't fill you at all right and, and if it does that might be a problem because like if you need to feel better because everyone else is doing worse like that's a problem too I think, well right? y- yeah you're right and there's there's a new there's a new uh blood so to speak especially in the cor- corporate world and it's affirming other people it's uh, praise it's recognition okay. so if if you want to make someone listen give recognition and give it in a way that it's honoring yeah. to to where everyone else gets to stop to hear the recognition and now you're saying this is what we value what is important and this one person is getting recognized. They're getting praise. It's going to cause everyone else, one, to congratulate the person because they look like a rock star for the day. And then two, other people are going to be like, dude, I want that to happen to me. Totally. Which means I've got to do what, what Paul was just doing or whatever. Like I've got to, I've got to change how I've been doing things and start coming at it the way Paul got recognized for his behavior by showing up, by being present, by listening, by making other people look good, by never, Paul never talks about anybody behind their back unless it's praise. Right. I had something like that happen to me a million years ago in a different career. I was working on a team of people and I worked on college campuses and we helped students and leadership and stuff like that. And uh, we were in a big meeting. I don't know, there were like 15 or 20 people there. And I didn't see this coming, but one of my colleagues out of nowhere, and I don't remember specifically what it was, but he was like, Matt, I got to tell you, and this is like the room went quiet and everybody was listening. And he was like, Matt, I got to tell you that I overheard, you know, a student say something nice about you. And I don't remember what it was. He goes, I just wanted to tell you that. And, um, I just thought it was important for you to hear that. And like, that was 25 years ago. Mm. And I did not forget. I remember who said it. Right. And, um, and I, it made me feel so good, you yeah. know, and I think there needs to be more of that, you yeah. know, to, to what you're saying. And Absolutely. so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's the real human connection. That's you know, right. The, and then, so that just inspires me to continue to doing the, to, to continue to do the right things. Right. And then the other thing I learned was I'm like, you know, Vince made me feel so good by saying that. I'm going to start doing that to other people too. Mm-hmm. So whenever I overhear somebody say something nice about someone else, I bring that, you know, to right. them too. And it's right. just, it's really powerful. It know? is powerful. Yeah. And, and to your point, it's also contagious. What I notice when I'm working with teams, oftentimes their, their body language tells me a lot about themselves, how they're open to receive a compliment. Right. So a, a lot of times um, you can compliment someone and they'll, they'll physically say oh you know it's like they're pushing it away so that person isn't up for receiving a compliment and if you're wanting to create a culture of giving good gifts of receiving good gifts that's one of the things that you have to work on that's something i do in in my in my training where we talk about like receiving good gifts so you can give good gifts right so um why is it hard for people to receive praise because they don't think that they're worthy of it why is that that my friend is a really great question that's because to be worthy of something means that you are of great value and a lot of people don't feel like they have intrinsic value they Mm -hmm. don't feel like that they are valuable and it could be from their upbringing it could be from something someone said that never left them it could be 
because of their own, they look in the mirror and they have a, a skewed vision or version of themselves, which is why it's important for us to be the ones who are holding up the mirror to people and reminding them of who they are. And which is, which means it's important for our eyes to be right with ourselves and with other people so that we can be those good people who can hold the mirror up and be like, no, 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 this is who you are. This is what I see in you and speak out things in people that, that it's so true that their soul shakes because you see them so clearly. Those are the things that will resonate for the rest of someone's life. And to be honest, will alter and change their life because your truth just shook off the dirt that someone had, it had cling to someone for far too long. The lies, the, the hypocrisy, all, all the stuff that had clung to that person can be shook off with truth and with kindness. Yeah. And I think we all have that gunk and dirt in us. Yeah. Like we all do for mm-hmm. one, we all have our stuff that we carry through life. Um, for, because life is tough, you know, mm-hmm. and things happen and things have been said that, that can't be unsaid and, mm-hmm. and they can really mess with your psyche and make you believe it, you know, for one reason or another. And, you know, um, I'm not great at receiving praise. I will kind of brush it off and I'm like, all right, thanks, man. So I think mm-hmm. for, I think it's, you know, part of the job of, of giving praise is, is to really maybe give it twice. You know, if it gets brushed off and they're like, no, whatever, that wasn't yes. me. That was, that was somebody else mm-hmm. to really look them in the eye and say, no, That's no, right. man, look, I'm really serious. Like yeah. what you did was really important to That's me. That's right. I need you to accept that That's you right. know, and be like, take it because I'm yeah. giving it to you. That's and, right. And, and it was really important. Thank you. That's right. And I think you can, if, if you repeat it and you try and break through that scar, um, it can be received, you know, holy. It can. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it takes, so a gift is not a gift unless it's received, right? right? So if I, if I have a present, like a Christmas-wrapped present, and, and inside is the keys to a car or a keys to something, a house, yeah. and I give it to someone and they go, oh, no, thanks, and they set it down or they put it aside or they throw it, and you go, no, 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 and you reframe it. And you, and you repack, you not repackage it because hopefully it's already packaged, but you're like, I want you to have this yeah, because I'm so grateful for you right. and you open it, you know, like how you present something, how you frame something shows how valuable it is, which is why when a man is proposing to a woman, usually they'll get on a knee right. and open it and hold it up to them. It's framing the value of it. So, um, the, the point is is a lot of people don't know how to receive gifts. So to your point, I think you're 100% spot on as far as like they, sometimes they need someone to grab them by the shoulders and shake them and be like, no, you need to know right. this is why you're, this is important to land well. And that's something I'll do with people. I'll check in with them and be like, does that land for you? Yeah. Does that land well for you? Yeah. Do you say, do you get what I'm saying? Tell me you understand. That's right. That's <laughs> yes. right. I yeah. hope you're getting this because then you reiterate. Yeah. Cause a, a, like a rejected compliment too can be, I don't know if disrespectful is the word or not, but if I give you a compliment and you, and you threw it back at me, you're like, that's not true. Like, Right. Like I might not want to compliment you again, That's you right. know, if I'm not, That's right. if I don't really want to really want you to have it, yeah. you know, and I was, but, but it can be, you know, that's, that can be a, a messy space too, where you're like, well, all right, well, I guess you're not that cool then. Cause <laughs> whatever, <laughs> right. you know? in the comedy world, we say hold for the applause. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you don't, you're teaching them not to applaud. You hold for laughs. 
Oh, there you go. Otherwise, you're teaching them not to laugh. Yeah. And that's not a fun comedy club to be in. No. Is when you're cutting off your audience. There was a there was a woman speaking one point, and she didn't understand. Like she said something that landed well with her audience, and they were like laughing and applauding it, which is a double. Like they're saying like that's funny, and I get it, and they're applauding it, and she cut them off saying no, 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 right. So to your point, they will not applaud her right. and laugh again at what she says because of the no, no, no. That yeah, she, she took their power away. That's right. Yeah. She took away their gift. Yeah. They were giving a gift to her and she, she interrupted it and said, no, that's not, I don't value what you have to give back to me. Right. All right. I wanted to segue into something else we talked about like you said you were bullied a little Mm. bit i was as well um i have teenagers now Mm -hmm. it's a really tough space teenagers are like aliens if anybody (laughs) has them at home you'll understand what i'm talking about you will find out in like 10 years like they're really interesting creatures Mm -hmm. um they are scared Mm -hmm. they um they have this rabid false confidence Mm -hmm. with nothing to support it with. Yeah. And so, um, so it's very like caveman, like, you know, it's whoever's the loudest, whoever's the meanest, like there's power that's given to the wrong people, you know, (laughs) in this age group. And it doesn't matter what school that you're in. It doesn't matter what they're being taught. Um, it doesn't, you know, I, we all know that that's probably learned behavior or they're acting out because they're, they're not getting what they need at different mm-hmm. places in their life and things yeah. like that. And you mentioned something the last time we talked, you were like, um, you know, improv is a space to help give people like that who are, who are getting, you know, the, the butt end of that kind of stuff, some power back. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you mean by that? What, yeah. you, what kind of things you can teach these kids mm-hmm. who are just not in a space to stand up for themselves. They feel alone. Um, you know, they're scared and it's just, it's a, it can be a long few years. Um, and, and it can leave lasting, you know, scars that they have yeah. to work through for a long, long time. And so yeah. what kind of things, you know, have you done or seen or, or how have you helped folks, you know, persevere through stuff like that? Yeah. There's, there's a couple of different ways that people bully other people. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's verbal and the verbal stuff can last a long time. Sure. So one of the ways to combat it is by using yes. And so when, so let's, let's say, um, there was a, there was a guy who, when he would bully me, he was, he was quick with his words and, um, it, it would get me in my head thinking like, Oh, maybe what he says is true because other people, you know, the other people will be laughing. So I, and it's like this one up, like, can I get above that? Can I get above that, that, uh, that comment or that put down? Can I, can I give a strong, like, that's what's going on in their head is like, how can I make him feel worse than he just made me feel? But you get frozen. You're like, I don't have that at my disposal right right now because I'm not that quick. This kid is quick. Like Mm -hmm. we all know that kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So you, you don't have to play the same game that they're playing. Right. And so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to play Michael Jordan in the game of basketball. He would destroy, you know what I mean? Um, 
and apparently he he likes to play a lot of different games. He's very competitive, right? Like the most competitive, <laughs> the right? most competitive yes, person. He would, he would run over his mother to win a game of right, poker. Right, right. There might be an improv game that I think I could beat him at. <laughs> you know what I'm so so finding like what game you're willing to play with another person. So part of it is just not even engaging in the game that they're playing in. Um, and sometimes it's showing up as if it doesn't bother you. Right. Part of it is putting that, putting that on. Um, it's like, dude, that's nothing. And then reminding yourself that like in a couple of years, you're not going to be in high school anymore. Yeah. And that person is going to have it really tough. And to be honest with you, if you listen, he probably has it even tougher because when I examine what was going on with the person bullying me or, or I could line up the usual suspects of bullies, for example, and take one of them and be like, Oh, things were not great at home for that dude. Uh, it's kind of like the, the movie stranger things with Billy. Who's like the worst bully, like the greatest jerk (laughs) of a stepbrother kind of ever. And then you end up feeling sorry for him because of how his dad treats him at home. Mm -hmm. You end up feeling sorry for Billy, which is from the writer's perspective, like great job writing that. And they probably didn't have to go too far from reality because we write what we know. So I guess my point is this, this is a trick that my dad taught me uh, when I was in, in middle school um, just before I was a teenager. Uh, my my dad had asked me to pray for the kids who were picking on me and how hard was that oh dude one of the hardest things to do yeah but i'll tell you what it's hard to hate someone you're praying for and it changed as a young man as a as a boy still um it changed when they were picking on me it gave me fuel that i didn't even know that i had yeah and it gave me the power to let things roll off my back. Yeah, it was, it was probably easier to take that stuff yeah. because you knew it was coming from a different place. Mm-hmm. And and it removes the personal you know, jab that's being thrown at you because you're like, it's really not about me. Right. It's about whatever junk he's dealing with. And that's kind of advanced, you know, to get to, but your mm-hmm. dad really, really spun it nicely to have you praying for that person mm-hmm. because it really, it's like writing something down. It makes it real. Right. You know, and so it's hard to maybe even just tell a kid, look, you're being bullied because they're being bullied. Right. You know? and, and they're like, yeah, but it still hurts. Right. You know? So to have an added step in there, you know, to crystallize that lesson, whether that's praying or writing something down or making yeah. it more real other than just, you know, you know, a teenager might not believe what the parents are telling them anyway, but you know, they'll learn it down the road. But yeah, that's a, that, that's a great story, you know? So it's a tough space. It's, you know? a, it's a tough space. Yeah. It's a tough space to be in, especially as a teenager, because you are the center of your own world. Oh yeah. And so to, give yourself permission to, to see things differently where while everything is about you, it's every, excuse me, everything is for you. It's just not all about you. Yeah. That's a hard, that's a tough pill to swallow where it's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, the sun's been coming up pretty regularly, uh, for me. It gives energy to the plants that eat or the animals that eat the plant that I eat or whatever, right. <laughs> you know, like everything's for me. It's just not all about me. 
So even to your point of like the the bullies picking on me, it's not even about me. And so it's like, dude, I wonder what's going on with him. I wonder what life is going to be like for him in three years when he, when he, this is all he knows how to communicate with other people. When I'm learning how to resolve, I'm learning how to reflect. I'm learning how to let water go off of a duck's back. I'm learning to let this go. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, that's tough stuff, but important I think there's a part of the brain even that hasn't fully developed yet as teenagers. Yeah. And so they can't even like, I don't, I can't remember exactly, but like they either can't see another person's point of view or they can't empathize with it properly or they're, um, it might have to do with consequences too. Like that's why kids are fearless because they don't think of consequences literally because like that part of the, the consequence part of your brain hasn't grown in yet or something like that. And so like, that's why, you know, they, they may have a tendency to make poor, you know, more risky decisions. I, I did some, I read a book one time and it gave me advice that a lot of parents would disagree with the advice in it, but I'll tell you what it armed me. Uh, basically the short version uh, is I, I had permission to hit a person only once. (laughs) So if I was going to do it, like one time in your only, life? Uh, no. Or like, you could only hit that person no, that once. Person, okay. that, that person once. Um, so <laughs> it's in a book called Wild at Heart as well. But um, the, that wasn't the book that I was reading. It was in a different book. Um, but the it gave me permission. And it was just like in the shoulder, not to yeah, yeah. pop the guy in the nose or something. But um, That was in the sequel. But that was the sequel. <laughs> But I remember like, and I grew up in the nineties where people were always like punching each other in the arm and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and teachers at the time, they didn't even care. You know, it was no. like, Hey, you know, it's probably, you're being bullied. It's called character building. Get over <laughs> right. it. <laughs> you know? Um, but I remember punching this guy in the shoulder as hard as I could, but I acted like it was nothing. And just seeing him kind of like, Oh. like rub, rub his arm <laughs> like he's he stopped bugging me after that and yeah. i didn't have to you know and i didn't get in trouble so that's part of it it's like yeah don't get yourself in trouble <laughs> by taking my advice so don't hit a person <laughs> don't do that what we've learned today from sean <laughs> is attack anybody who's being mean to right. you you know what we're gonna learn next is um, <laughs> um Okay, so I wanted to pivot to like AI. Mm. So let's talk about AI. Yeah, that's something. It's a big buzzword right now. Um, it's going to affect everybody Every in the world industry, at some yeah. point, you know. Yeah. And um, I would imagine. I'm curious on like what your thoughts are with AI and humor. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that like it's already. I mean, it's AI has been around, but it's this is like it's coming out moment. Like yeah. it's it's gone full scale, you know. Yeah, and um, it's. You know, with Chat GPT and and all the other AI platforms, I even think AI is starting to become like a branding term. I think people are calling things AI when, when they're really not. You right. Know, like, that's just an automation. You know. Right. There's no deep thinking that's going on there. But, right. but when it comes to humor, like, do you think AI will, you know, really be disruptive in your industry? Do you think it will be writing jokes for comedians? Um, I mean, the thing about that I love about comedy is like you know, each comedian really has you know, a fingerprint on the way they deliver mm-hmm. what they deliver. Like Seinfeld does his stuff beautifully, but it's totally different than the way Carlin does it. Right. And like Conan is brilliant in his own way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can go back, you know, 
and just fill in the blank with all the other comedians. Bill, sure. Bill Burr, like yeah. all these people have their own very unique, special way of delivering humor. Yeah. Um, but could you go to Chat BT and Chat GPT and be like, hey, you know, write me a five minute set the way Bill Burr would, you know, and like it'll spit something out, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, do you think the art form is, is, is going to get diluted for a little while? Do you think it's going to be, do you think comics are going to, do you think comics will be resistant to that? Because what they share and what they give is so personal that they're not going to want to outsource it because it's their voice. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Will there be a bunch of copycat? Will be some lazy comics that are like, I don't want to write my stuff. I have the computer do it or stuff. Like yeah. That. Do you have any thoughts on like, what? yeah, yeah, I do have some thoughts. Um, I do think that, there, there will be some purists who will not touch it, or they will say uh, there's no greater mind than, than a human's. Um, I, I do think that there's going to be copycats. I think that there's going to be people who are going to learn how to enter into the chat, who are going to learn, because it's all about the prompt, like how you prompt it to get yeah. the answers that you want. Um, then, however, you're going to have to work on your delivery. To, right. to be on a stage, to deliver into a microphone or into a camera, to be able to deliver in a way that is captivating or riveting or humorous or you, you pause at the right points, that also is a skill. Sure. And right now, uh, currently, ChatGPT doesn't tell you how to do that. Like right. There's not yet, a, I, I know, in the dancing world, uh, apparently like there's a way that you can write a ballet, like how to dance and jump and you yeah. know, plie and all that. The French right. came up with it apparently years ago. But um, right now there's not that for a comedy as far as stand-up goes. So you can write a monologue in the style of Bill Burr, Mike Birbiglia, or Carlin, um, and it'll write a, a, a monologue for you that if you're imagining them saying it, you can say, hear them saying it. Maybe with George Carlin is a lot less F words or whatever, <laughs> but, um, but it'll, it'll do it. It'll be all right. Yeah. Um, I, I see it more as a writer's room where you have an idea and you, you go to the prompt and you throw it in and it'll, and it'll send something your way. I'm not a purist in the sense where, um, I'm not going to not touch AI. Like I'm not going to not touch AI. That's yeah. not how it, I, I see it in the, in the way that like everyone now can pull Excalibur from the stone. Just not everyone knows how to wield the sword yet. Sure. So it's learning how to wield it to, to help people really, whether it's telling better jokes or punching up material that you already have. Right. Right. Um, getting an idea, breaking it down. Like, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I need, I could use more humor here. So you can use it as a device to punch up your material, to add more humor. And that's how, that's like, I don't see it going away. No. So now that it's not going away, you have to learn how to use it in a, a, an economical kind of way, in a, uh, in a moral kind of way. Um, and then at the, at the end of the day, it's not going to do everything for you. Well, how much of communication is the the words on the page you know when you're delivering it because you know i think it's like oh man i don't remember it's like 12 percent of communication is the words mm -hmm. right like 40 percent is tone and then the other 50 percent is 
body language. Yeah, it's right? a and lot so, is nonverbal. And so yeah. there's so much of what you're talking about that's just mm. spitting out words. But to mm. your point, it's got to be delivered. Right. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, humor and comedians and acting and all that other stuff, like the performance is mm-hmm. really what, um, what portrays what's on the page. Yeah. Like, like you can give you know, something for me to try and act out and you give the same thing to Anthony Hopkins and you're going to get a different, you know, a different look, you know, sure. from, from both of those, but the words would be the same. Right. You know? so, right. Yeah. So, and that's yeah. really what it boils down to. Yeah. Different writers, different directors, actors are, I think it is going to affect the, the industry, the, the writers guilds. I think, um, I think it's going to change a lot. Um, I hate to use this analogy. Uh, so during the time when they had like, in, in New York, when they had a lot of horses, there was men who were hired to go around and clean up the manure from the horses. Yeah. When the car became more prevalent, those men got upset that they might be out of a job. Now, they, they didn't go home and die, they, but they had to go and do something else. Right. And so I do see that there's going to have to be uh, a creative way to do something new because... There is going to be, um, you know, I hate to, I hate to say like, oh, you're, AI is going to put you out of job, or, or you wield it in a way where you're the guy who keeps the job because you know how to use the prompts sure. or you know how to to write your own script. You know, you might be an actor who's like, dude, I just wrote my own script, right? You know, and it's awesome. Did you use AI to help you? Yeah, in some parts, but a lot of it I had to punch up. I had to do this and that. I sent it. To, to some of my friends. Someone bought it. Someone right? bought it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I do think that it's kind of like the internet. Like in the early times the, when the internet was coming out, people were like, oh, I don't know. It's not like yeah. people are going to want to go into a store. Like people are going to, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> right. like, well, you know, not all that stuff to, shows up at your door the next day. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, Bed Bath & Beyond, it just closed. They are beyond. They are. They are on the great beyond. They are beyond. So, yeah. All right. So last thing I want to talk about, you're doing some stuff with some conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> talk, to me, talk to me. Give me a little tease on, on like what you're doing. You're doing something with the Titanic. Yeah. Um, but tell me, how'd you get into, you know, uh, what you're doing with conspiracy theories? Like, what do you do? Is it a show? Like, um, is it an improv show? What What are you doing with, with conspiracy? Yeah. Theories? Great question. Um, <laughs> the way that it came about, um, it was after a comedy show. We went to uh, to like a, a, a brewery across the street from our from the creative space in Garden City. That's our venue where we do our shows. Yeah. And one of our improvisers just started talking about UFOs and and his belief of UFOs. And this is this is this is two years ago. So yeah. before people were actually talking about it, the government's talking <laughs> about it. So we're talking about UFOs, and I start noticing like people leaning over and listening and scooting their chairs over because they wanted to hear more of what my friend was talking about when sure. it comes to to UFOs. And um and as he was doing that, I was like, "There's a show here." <laughs> There's a show here. So we started putting this show into development. And um, at first it kind of started off as like almost like part TED talk. Yeah. Like yeah. here's the conspiracy. Nice. And then we would do dun, improv dun, dun. based off of it. Yeah. So now we, we essentially address our audience and we say, hey, we're going to do a comedy show for you. But this show is very different because we're going to be diving into conspiracy theories or as we like to call them, conspiracy facts. <laughs> And so, so if we're doing, <laughs> if we're doing Bigfoot, we'll say, is there, is there something, um, out there more sinister lurking 
in the forests? Uh, have we been lied to by the government, or is is he real? Does Bigfoot exist? Like that, you know, that kind yeah, of yeah. A, that kind of a thing. Where uh, and then we check in with the audience. Where we're like, we did Bigfoot. We actually just did Titanic. So we're like, all right, where's my believers at? You know, and half of the audience is like all in on the conspiracy. Half people are like, I just showed up because my friends invited me. Right. And uh, and some people don't know. This is a different kind of improv show. So uh, so that's that's for us to explain to our audience. Like this is not your typical improv show where we're doing like whose line is it anyways games or bringing audience members up and doing some games with them. This is a different improv show. We're going to give you material that we've, researched and here's what we know so far right we're not experts on it we're just a couple of buddies who do comedy but this is what we've heard and this is what we know and we might even show some videos and stuff like that in the space um and then we do long form improv based off of the things that we've shared with the audience so it's all made up still um but we're doing long form based off of the conspiracy and sometimes we'll at the top of the show, we ask the audience for their favorite conspiracy. And so we do this whole like short form game of bringing to life all these different conspiracies. And some of that might make it into the show as well. So how do you like, how do you plan for a show like that for something that's unscripted? There's still some bones to it, right? Like you go out and you're like, we're going to do this first and it's going to lead to this. And then we're going to ask the audience for this and then we're going to react to that and then like what does it look like like on the page like how do you plan that Mm -hmm. out and and how do you execute it yeah oh you get you're getting the the behind the scenes right here (laughs) yeah yeah so what we do is we know that there's going to be what we call the the table talk conversation the or the round table conversation that's where the audience is involved and we're explaining the conspiracy so it's as if um like t- Titanic, for example, a lot of people don't know that it's not the Titanic that's at the bottom of the ocean. It's the Olympic. And to the audience, they're like, wait, what? Right. Yeah. So we explain I saw the movie. That. Right. I saw yeah. the movie. It, that was the Titanic that was painted <laughs> yeah. on it. It wasn't it called was Olympic. Over, so. right? <laughs> it was painted over. So we, so we explain, like, this is... Here's something that a lot of people don't know. This is what happened. And this is based off of a documentary that's on Prime right now, uh, Amazon Prime. A- anyway, so we'll, we'll, we'll explain that. We, we dipped into the, um, the submersive, submersible that went down to it, the people that were on it, um, what was heard, you know, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Then the fact that it was named the Titan, which the, the, there's a whole book about the Titan. Do you, if you, do you know this no. story? So without getting too much into the conspiracy itself, there was a book 14 years before the Titanic was ever created. There was a book called this, the sinking of the Titan, the unsinkable ship. So it's crazy. The similarities of the boat, it sunk in April, it hit an iceberg and it was going too fast and it didn't have enough lifeboats for the people on board. It was like, oh, bing, bing, bing. Yeah. So some people are like, oh, that's, that's, uh, what's it called? Programming, like, um, where they're, they're explaining that what's coming kind of right. deal. Predicting. Right. Predicting, predictive programming. So anyways, we, we get into that and the improvisers riff back and forth. Some of them don't know the conspiracy. So if we're doing the flatter, you know, flat earth, some of the improvisers are like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> kind of a thing. And we'll unpack it. And be like, this is what, it, this is what they, they believe kind of a thing. And we unpack it in a way 
that is is not dishonoring to the people who believe it, but like this is we're presenting the information. So from the behind the scenes, that table talk conversations five seven minutes tops. Okay. So then we're like we're gonna do twenty minutes of improv, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna do another table talk, and recap either what we know or here's some added information that we didn't have time to give you in our first okay. table talk. And then we have 20 minutes to bring it home. Oh, wow. So that's essentially the behind the scenes. We know that our job is to warm up the audience, to connect with them, be like, hey, guys, what's up? Who's who, Where's my first time people? You've never yeah. been to a show kind of a thing. So we're connecting with our audience, and then we want to banter with them and get to know them. So we're like, sometimes I'll ask them, where are you from? Who came the furthest today kind of a thing? Hey, where's my conspiracy theorist at? Who Who is or knows someone <laughs> that's really close to you that could wear a tinfoil hat for real kind of a thing? So we, we play with them, we banter with them, and then we ask them what their favorite conspiracies are. Then we do a, um, an improv, a, short, a shorter improv based off of that thing. So that's three sections essentially yeah. with two different table talk conversations. So that's how we do that show. Okay. Different shows demand different sure. outlines or yeah. lineups. Well, that sounds super fun. You have one coming or you just did one? We just did one on Friday, which yeah. was Titanic. The next one we have coming up is giants <laughs> and <laughs> which it's wild, <laughs> but people are like, yeah, giants. they're for real. They're, they're still real. here. Yeah. <laughs> And they there's live a in whole, Slovenia right, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Goliath. He was a remnant of the Nephilim, <laughs> like all sorts of stuff. Uh, and then we have uh, alien, UFOs. That we're going to do that next just Boom. because of so much of this come out with nice. that. Nice. Yeah. Well, good. Well, buddy, I'm out of time. I want to thank you for coming in. Like, I always like talking to you. Like, yeah. you bring such good, great energy to the show. Um, I love hanging out with you. We always have good conversations. Yeah. You're doing some really important work in a, in, in a really fun way. So, like, I know it's humor and I know it's improv, but, like, the skills. You know, I really wanted to highlight the skills that, that you're teaching and giving to people are really important in just getting through life. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's yeah. really, uh, you know, whether it's at work or at home or if you're a parent or uh, if you're having trouble here or there, like you're, you're giving people real tools, you know, to endure and to survive and to take back some power and, and to be a good friend and to be a good listener and all of those things that, that I think the world really needs right now. So thank yeah. you for, for doing what you do. You know, I wish you continued success and, you know, I'm a big fan. So, so thanks for coming in and, and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Matt, thank you so much for having me, man. That's great. All right, man. Take care.